0: This is The Blood Doctor Show. On a Tuesday. And of course we know Wednesdays are the best shows, but this Wednesday I will actually be at Suns Mavs Game 2. So there probably will be some sort of post-Game 2 podcast of some sort. But had to get in the Tuesday podcast because who knows how hard I'll be partying on Wednesday just in case very exciting time for us suns fans of course i'll be going with good friend of the show keith what up keith best friend haven't mentioned keith in a while gotta get him back on the show to talk about something stupid and or tom brady i believe that is always what we talk about oh we also talk about the suns whatever before we go into the fun thing. I haven't really veered into politics for a while, I've kind of sworn them off a little bit because of certain things, but I would be doing a disservice to myself, to everyone who has ever listened to this podcast, and to every woman I know, if I didn't at least say something about what is going on. And we all know, well... It seems that the stated intent for all conservatives has always been to overturn Roe v. Wade and to make abortion illegal. And they campaign on it every year, every midterm election, every presidential election. And yet, even when they have control, they never do anything about it. And that's what my stepfather always said. You know, he said conservatives would never actually overturn Roe v. Wade because what would they campaign on? They would have literally nothing to talk about it at that point. That was all they talked about for so long. And so many people were single-issue voters. I am anti-abortion. I will always vote Republican. And I think that that was true for a long time, but times have changed. Now that the Republicans have turned every single thing that exists into a culture war, they're not single-issue voters. They're, like, single-section voters. And the only thing they care about is wokeness and... You know, hating all things progressive, you know, gay rights, trans rights, all of those things. So that point being, abortion is no longer the keystone issue for Republicans anymore. It's just everything that a progressive person might believe is their keystone issue. So they don't need to keep that one anymore. And now that they have enough justices on the Supreme Court, they can go ahead and say, hey, you know, we don't care about anything That a woman thinks and we're going to overturn what is very clearly settled law and we're going to leave it up to the states. Now, if you're living in a progressive state, this is not something that should have too much of an effect on you because you live in a place that has rational thought and that's good. But many people don't. And this is just going to create a scenario in which so many women who are not ready and not capable and not medically healthy enough to carry children are going to be forced to do so. Because make no mistake, this isn't going to be a thing where they're going to just, well, we're going to create safe, effective abortion bans, And but in, you know we'll have exclusion. This is just, they're going to just be total abortion bans. And it won't matter if you were raped or cases of incest, whatever it was, this is going to become a situation in which Republicans do everything they can to turn women back into baby factories. This is an assault on women. That's exactly what this is. This is an assault on women. This is this country's long-standing hatred of women. Coming back to the forefront. That's what this is. And I see some other people talking about. Well this is actually about. You know keeping poor people poor by. And and you know I'm sure there's a lot of that too. I'm sure there are other prongs to this whole thing. Of course with intersectionality we know. Nothing is ever about one thing, but this is primarily an assault on women. And in, in, in the case of like Amy Barry Conant, Amy Coney, Bar- I don't even know the, what that fucking woman's name is. Anyway, the point is it's by women in some cases, but this is absolutely an assault on women to keep women barefoot and pregnant, you know, back in home, you know, having as little as power as possible. And keeping men in charge. And I don't understand what conservative women. I think it's just a thing where they don't see themselves as women almost like they see themselves as above it. I'm part of the patriarchy, so I'm not concerned if other women are held back by what I'm doing because I'm above that. And that's ultimately what it boils down to is that no matter what the lines are, whether you're, you know, liberal progressive conservative whether you're a woman whether you're a man no matter what race you are all of those things when money is involved that's where the real true separation is in the end once you're above a certain line even the things you do to hurt your own people don't matter anymore if you're a person of color and you're making you know so much money you might pass laws that hurt people of color we've seen this happen with republican senators and congressmen they'll hurt They'll hurt people that they're related to. They'll hurt their own family members. They'll hurt strangers of who they'll hurt other people of color. So long as they get their money, it doesn't matter. And, and it just, it's the same thing now with women. We have, you know, women who are on the Supreme court who are saying, in this case, a woman who's saying, I don't, you know, give a fuck. I'm not trying to put this on Kintaji Brown or Sonia Sotomayor. I'm just saying, you literally have a brand new Supreme Court justice who's excited to put women back in, you know, their cages. And she's on the side of that. She's excited to do it. And you have, you know, female congressmen or, or women congressmen. We're not supposed to use the word female, but I'm not going to edit myself here. I'm just being very raw. You have women who are congressmen who, they they will support this too. Um there are some slightly sane, like you have Susan Collins, who's a Republican, who's pro-abortion rights, but of course, you know every single thing that she does, she always votes with the GOP anyway. So it's just it's all a fucking dog and pony show by rich people designed to keep us fighting, and it's just ultimately an attack on women. This this one this one move is an attack on women to just create more divisiveness more problems it's just disgusting the ruling class of this country are evil motherfuckers and until you separate the like 500 people who get to make all the rules from that power this is just going to continue to happen senators don't make sense a supreme court of nine why do nine people get to make a decision for everyone it makes no sense The Supreme Court should be, what, like 3,000 people or something? It should be an absurd number of people. You literally can't have nine people, all of them old, make a bunch of decisions for things they don't even understand. And that further extends to Congress. It extends to the presidency. Joe Biden has literally done nothing That he said he would do. He has enacted nothing but Republican policies. And Democrats still want to sit there and blame everyone else for everything that's going on. The simple fact of the matter is. Every single person elected to office right now. Does not represent us. Maybe you can find an exception here and there. There's always an exception that proves the rule, right? But there's not a single goddamn senator who's really representing us. Even Bernie fucking Sanders has cut out and cut and run at the last minute when we needed him to not do it. Bernie has done that. I, there's probably a congressman or two who are or a congresswoman or two. I don't even know what ter- a congressperson, whatever fucking term I'm supposed to use. We are literally in the middle of an assault on every single individual freedom that we have as people. And it is being driven by rich people who want to enslave all of us as workers and take away all of our money and make us poor and make all of our lives about 90-hour work weeks. That is what is happening. And if they have to use race, they'll use it. If they have to use women, they'll use it. Or they'll, you know, tell white men, you're a victim. They'll do whatever it is they can. That's the Fox News is all about charging people up and making them think they're a victim. And, you know, the supposedly left-wing networks, they do the same thing. The Washington Post, owned by a billionaire. Every single thing that goes on, all the opinions that are fed to you come from billionaire oligarchs who want to use every single thing that's different about us and make us believe it's worth warring over. Think about that for a minute. Think about Black Lives Matter. What are they saying? They're saying Black Lives Matter. Not Black Lives are more important. Not Black Lives are the only lives that matter. Not Black Lives are superior. Just Black Lives Matter. That's all it is. And 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 people can't even let them have that. No, I, I think it was, I, there was a comedian, it might have been Chappelle, I'm missing, forgive me, but they said they can't even let us have Black Lives Matter. Just Matter. Think about what that really means to say that the phrase that, yes, black people are also important to the world, that that's a terrorist organization to them. Think about what that thought process means. And so they use that to divide us. And they say, look at those people, those people, coded language, right? They say they're terrorists. They want to attack you. It's just an embarrassing time to be an American. And truthfully, I'm not sure there ever was a good time to be an American. There were no glory days. There's never been, you know, a heyday of America being good. There's just been covering up of different atrocities and, you know, painting a red, white, and blue flag on it. And I don't know about you, but the red, white, and blue, like, when I see a flag now, I'm like, it's like violence. Like, I don't... (laughs) We all know that the, the, you know, the blue stripe police flag is violence. Obviously, we know that that's like a terrorist mindset. But when I see the regular American flag at this point in a Twitter profile or on someone's clothes or on a hat or out in front of their house, I'm just like, really? That's like what you want to stand for right now? Like you're proud of where we are? Who the fuck is proud of this? We're a nightmare capitalist wasteland full of systemic racism, a broken medical system, and hatred of one half of the fucking population simply because they give birth to children. This is this is a nightmare state. This isn't something to be proud of. And, you know, the Democrats have had the opportunity to Make abortion completely legal. They've never done it. They don't do anything they're going to say. This is all just a dog and pony show. They always tell you what they're going to do. Well, we're going to change the way that policing works in this country. Because there's obvious problems with systemic racism. What do they do? They increase police budgets. They're liars. All of them. Every single one of them. They're fucking scumbag liars. And whether you... Vote for someone else or you get involved in local politics. Everything has to be changed at the local level because you're never going to make any difference at the national level because this is just how it fucking goes. Get involved locally. Educate those around you. Help redistrict things correctly. Because as long as things are broken in the cities and towns around us, you'll never be able to grab a stranglehold Over what the rich people have already carved up. And they take their 20% opinion. Of one fifth of the racist white population. And they pretend that that's what all Americans think. That's what real Americans think. And they foist it on all of us. And the only way to change any of this bullshit. Is at the local level. You have to act locally. Run for local office. Help you know, become a precinct captain. Whatever you want to do. Just the point is, all this shit about, I'm going to run for Congress that we see people do. You're never going to beat corporate money. Just take away the power that corporate money has. That's how you do this. Now let's talk about basketball. I posted um, online what I thought the... Totals in these series would be. I didn't get an opportunity to record a podcast before the series started. I was supposed to. Things happen. That's how life goes. But uh, I said, uh, I believe it was Bucks in seven, Heat in five, Suns in six, and Warriors in seven. Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking coming into round two. And, you know, game one between the Bucks and Celtics. It honestly did shake my confidence in the Celtics quite a bit. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there who, I mean, you could call them Celtics apologists, you'd call them Celtics fans, whatever, who basically said, ah, oh, this all went wrong, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is kind of my thing. The Bucks are the champs until someone knocks them off and proves that, you know, they're better. And we all were worried about the Chris Middleton thing. What is that going to bring? You know, how is that going to go? You know, well, I mean, they survived it. And it's one game. And the whole series could turn. You never know. But, I mean, the Bucs have been thrashing people for a couple of years now when people have been telling us they're going to lose. Right? And, you know, the finals games were close um, with the Suns. You know, they did win four straight, but all four of them were close. But really outside of those, I mean, the Bucs have been thrashing a lot of people in the regular season, in the playoffs. And there's a lot of, well, you know, Giannis and well, well, if 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 this and if that. And I just when you get thrashed by the champs in game one, and then you tell me, well, yeah, but our regular season defense after the all-star break was incredibly good. Like <laughs> That kind of thinking is just, okay, this is the playoffs. And, yeah, the Celtics just swept the Nets. Congratulations. We all knew the Nets had no defense. Every single one of us knew that the Nets had no defense. And so, yeah, to me, this was just uh, this was an example of <laughs> the champs being the champs. And uh, Bill Simmons said on his podcast, that's why we're the fucking champs or whatever. He was telling some old story. Bill Simmons thing is interesting, by the way. Uh, I was kind of under. I was like, why are people so mad at Bill Simmons? Like he's done a lot of things way worse than say, fuck Jalen Green. Like he's done way worse than that. Why is that the thing that people are mad about? And then they're like, it turns out people are mad because he has an all NBA vote. Media members probably shouldn't be saying fuck people if they have all NBA votes. That's fair. Regardless, the motherfucker has inside info. He was the one who was convinced that uh, Bruce Arians would not be coaching the Bucks this year. So that's why I listened to that motherfucker. I listen to a lot of people. You got to listen to people that you don't like in sports sometimes just so that you can get all the tips. And also, if you want to hate on someone, you got to properly know everything they think so that you can just hate on them. regardless. Even Bill wasn't convinced that the Celtics really had a chance in this one. I just don't think they do. I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna say this. I think I was wrong to think that this was Bucks and seven. And that was primarily because of the Middleton thing. I know that everyone has been all over what the Celtics defense is doing. And, well, Robert Williams is back now, so they're healthy. And, you know, the meniscus thing wasn't as bad as we thought. And now Chris Middleton's out. And so I understood all of that. But I haven't been as high on the Celtics as everyone else. And you watch a game like this and you just see, hey, the bucks do they have as much talent and depth as other teams? No. But they've got basically the best player in the world and a bunch of guys who know how to play off of him, and it works. And, you know, their size bothers people, and here you go. And I just didn't – the only reason I thought this was a seven-game series is because Middleton was out, and I felt like the Celtics were going to be able to – Drag this thing out with a couple of games, um, you know, that they might not have otherwise won. And I just don't, maybe I'm overreacting to game one, but truthfully, the Bucks have been going through the Celtics the last few years in the playoffs, and it doesn't really seem like anything's about to change right now. I know that, you know, dating back to a few years ago in like the Jabari Parker year, <laughs> you know, the Celtics were able to get past the Bucs. But, you know, since Giannis has become Giannis, um, they've pretty much gone through them aside from that one game that, you know, Kyrie was able to pull out for the Celtics in game one a few years ago. But for the most part, the Bucks have pretty much run through this team. It really doesn't seem like a lot's about to change. I don't really think that there's much the Celtics need to do in this offseason, though. I think it's just going to be. Yeah, I'm jumping ahead. But I think it's just going to be a little bit more growth. Their guys are young and, um. You know, maybe you got to figure out where to replace Al Horford because he can't play forever. And if the answer is just Robert Williams, then, you know, that's fine. But you got to find someone else to replace Al Horford for, you know, the 20 minutes a game that, you know, Robert Williams can't be playing. And the 20 games a year he's not going to play because he's never going to quite be the super healthy guy. So if Williams is your guy long term. You know, he is the the bedrock center of the Celtics. they got him signed to a great extension. It's just the health thing is a problem. You need another guy. You need another Al Horford. How are you gonna do that? Be interesting to figure out. Grizzlies um Warriors game one. This is pretty much exactly what I expected. Just a hell of a game. Um pretty high, you know, point total, two hundred and thirty three points for you Know a round two NBA playoff game. Um, you know, as the playoffs go on, the, the scores tend to get lower, save for those two years that we had the uh, the Warriors Cavs finals games where like every game was you know 135, you know, 120. Um, for the most part, the game tends to slow down as the the playoffs go on. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. We could have a series though that is a, you know attract me because we know that that's what the the, the Grizzlies want to do, right? They want to run. And the Warriors have found enough youth to be able to play with that as well. They get this win. I honestly thought Jaw was going to make that last shot. I, and I was Keith and I were sitting there, and I was like, "Man, if it's me, I'm trying to get Jaw with the head of steam going to the basket, trying to get a layup or a foul or a dunk or something." And that's exactly what they did. I loved the play call. The play call by Taylor Jenkins was awesome. And you know, I haven't. And a lot of people have talked about you know Jaw missed the layup. It was close. Blah blah. blah. But man, there's a hell of a play call to get the ball into someone else and then get it to Jaw on the run. It just just a beautiful play design. And you know it's the kind of thing where okay, everyone in the building knows that the Grizzlies want to get the ball to their superstar. Everyone knows they want to get the ball to Ja Morant. But if you just give him the ball and make him dribble like from right there, you're everyone knows what's going on and you're limiting what he can do. By giving by getting that head of steam Without the ball, you know, he's able to catch it and basically go almost right into the gather and go right to the hoop. And I mean, damn near, he damn near got the thing. And hell of a play call. They almost won it. But I think this is going to be a really good series. And the one thing I will say, I've been thinking about it a lot, is like, as a Suns fan, what's a better matchup for the Suns? Like in terms of what is a more likely win for the Suns, the Warriors or the Grizzlies? And I actually think... I think that the Suns would be better matched up against the Warriors just for the Suns, despite, you know, the Warriors looking healthy. I mean, I foolishly picked the Nuggets to win the first round because I thought the Warriors, I just didn't know what their health would be. Well, I was fucking wrong. Laugh, me, laugh at me in the face. They got their asses beat, so I'm stupid. But even with the, the Warriors looking healthy at this point, the Suns' size is just a problem for them. DeAndre Ayton is back to being playoff DeAndre Ayton, which is just basically the best center in the NBA. He's a two-way force. He's shutting everything down at the rim. He's shooting like 80%. He's impossible to stop scoring. Like, DeAndre can do any fucking thing that he wants to in these playoffs. It's awesome. And, I mean, dude, he's he's hitting mid-rangers at Eclipse better than, like, you know, he's like a better mid-range shooter than Tatum. Like, Like, DeAndre's incredible, and people don't give him his due, and it's annoying because he's, you know, last night he put up 25-8. and He's going to fucking dominate the series. Anyway, we're not talking about the Suns right at this moment. But in terms of Grizzlies-Warriors versus the Suns, I think that we all know the Grizzlies love the offensive glass. We all know the Suns are bad on the offensive glass. So I think that right there you've got a big thing that matters in the playoffs. Um Offensive rebounding, you know, Phil Jackson used to always say offensive rebounding won't win you a championship, but we've all watched plenty of games, plenty of playoff games that were a two point game that were suddenly four on a late offensive rebound that changed how the whole game played out. And it won't happen a million times, but it could be a big factor. And when you have a decided size advantage against one team and a more of a, you know, I don't know that the Grizzlies are quite as big as the Suns. Maybe they're exactly as big as the Suns. Um, maybe they're a little bit bigger, and that's why they're better at offensive rebounding. With Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams, I, I don't know exactly how all the measurements pull, play out, but I know that the Warriors don't have a true center to sit there and counter DeAndre Ayton, and that's what we saw with the Mavs last night, too, and I think that's going to affect the um, that next round. So... Even though it may seem shocking, you know, giving the championship pedigree, I really do hope the Warriors win. Um, I mean, you know, it's not as if I'm afraid of the Grizzlies or something. I think the Suns are going to win the title this year, no matter who they play in the Western Conference Finals, no matter who they play in the Finals. I've said I think they're going to make quick work of the Mavs. I mean, six games isn't quick work, I guess, but that was before last night's game, but let's... We'll get there. The point is, I'm not, like, afraid of Memphis. But I definitely, if it was Suns in Memphis, I would say, man, that's going to be a 6-7 game series. I actually think the Suns can get through the Warriors. I think that would be more like a 5-6 game series. And I know that the Warriors have had success against the Suns. We're talking about regular season games where all of their backup dudes made a boatload of crazy shots. You know, I understand Draymond Green's there. I understand Clayback. I understand it's Steph. I understand Jordan Poole's on a new level. I get all that. The Suns are a deeper, more talented, bigger team with a better defense. And I just believe it's a really good matchup, and the Suns would make quick work of the Warriors. I think this series is going to be a long one, and I think that whoever comes out of it is going to be pretty gassed and I think the Suns are going to be through the Mavs pretty quickly. I mean, let's be honest. Let's just talk about it. Because that game last night was awesome. And I know the Mavs made a run at the end and Reggie Miller's sitting there. The Mavs need to watch this on film. The Mavs need to watch this on film because they've done something here at the end of this game. They've really done it. Fuck you, Reggie. Reggie's a fucking idiot. Whatever. The point is, they have done shit. The Suns gave up at the end of the game because they weren't going to foul And give the Mavs, you know, extra free throws. So they just let them take their shots. And they made a bunch of them. And the score looks closer than the game really was. The Mavs were losing by double digits for most of that game. Don't tell me it was closer than... It was not a close game. Luca is a fucking master of scoring 45 points in the playoffs and losing. (laughs) This dude scores like half his team's points. And still somehow not that effective of a player. Like, I mean... (laughs) all the runs that the Mavs went on was when they were playing their starters against the Suns' bench. The Suns are just deeper. The Suns are just deeper. And the Mavs are going to have to try to play their guys 48 minutes to get through this. They just don't have a chance. They're not deep enough. And again, picking six games was probably generous. And now I got to knock on wood because I'm going to this game tomorrow. Knock, knock, knock. I'm sitting here talking so much shit. But I just don't think that the Mavericks match up well with the Suns at all. They have nothing... No one. Nothing for DeAndre Ayton. Nothing. They have nothing for DeAndre Ayton. And Devin Booker has always been, a, a, you know, a nightmare for the Mavs. And, you know, we've all been sitting here talking about, you know, Tatum. Did Tatum just take KD's spot? How about Devin Booker has taken Kevin Durant's spot as the best pure scorer in the game of basketball? Yeah. Yeah, I said it. Even on a night last, like last night when he wasn't playing well, he still scores 21. He still is assisting all over the place. He's still affecting the game. He still had free throws at the end. Kevin Durant disappeared in that series. He was scoring in the teens. Couldn't handle doubles. Couldn't do anything. Devin Booker can score from anywhere. Anywhere. In any way. He can dunk on you. He can post you up. He can score from the mid-range. He can bag triples. He's got logo range. Devin Booker can score from anywhere. At any time. On anyone. I'm slamming my phone with authority to let you know how serious I am about this take. None of this is bullshit. I'm not lying. Devin Booker is the best scorer in the league. He could take like 10 more shots a game and increase his scoring average by a lot, but he plays a team game. But if Devin, you know, I see these people, well, Luka Doncic is clearly the best player in this series. Dude, if Devin Booker had every single thing revolve around him, in the way that things do. Luca, look at his stats. He'd fucking put up 45 inefficiently and lose too. Like, what are we What are we trying to accomplish here? What the fuck is the point of this shit? Everyone wants to, Luca scored 45 points. He lost the fucking game. He lost the fucking game. Who fucking cares how much he scored? It's, it's stupid. All of the heroics, all of the stat padding, all of the numbers mean nothing when you don't win. And, you know, people are like, well, Luca's gassed. He has to do everything. Yes, because their entire team is based on him doing everything. Get a second player. Get someone who doesn't stand around and watch him. They clear out to let him rebound. They stand around and watch him dribble and wait to shoot so that he can get assists. Or they just set screams and let him go to the basket and take every single free throw and draw every foul. There's no fucking secret. Every single thing that the Mavs do is about Luka. It is stat padding to the extreme. And I'm not saying that he's a bad basketball player, but I'm saying that he doesn't fucking play a team game. And that's why they'll never win anything. You're never going to win championships playing like this. By the way, all for all the like LeBron's heroics that led them back from three and one. Yeah. He also fucking had Kyrie Irving playing out of his mind. And he also had Kevin Love playing the best defense of his career. Like it doesn't, he had stars around him. Yes, he was playing a star-studded team in the Warriors. Absolutely. I I understand that. But this this whole idea that, well, Luca is just gonna power the team to the all the way because he's the best player in the series. Dude, like you're talking about like 90s basketball when games would be like 75-71 and one dude would score 40 of the team's 75 points. Like that shit doesn't hold up anymore. You're not winning these series with one star. And the Mavs don't even have like a second-tier player. Okay, maybe Jalen Brunson has evolved into a second-tier player. That's fair. But he basically plays the same position as Luka. And not that you don't want to have two point guards in this league. You really do want to have two initiators. But they don't have any real sort of rim protection. They don't have a big. And look, a lot of this is the result of the Porzingis thing didn't work. They dumped him mid season. It is what it is. Remaking your team on the fly doesn't really typically lead to a championship team. You know, the only one I can think of is like when, you know, the Lakers rebuilt everything on the fly got Pau Gasol. They went to the finals that year. They lost, um, but they won the finals next year. Hey, very similar. Suns got Chris Paul. They went to the finals. They lost. Maybe we win next year. So it's, it's difficult to rebuild on the fly. It's not common. And. You know, I'm not necessarily dogging them. I mean, Luca got out of the first round. That's been, you know, an issue for him. He got it done. Good for you. But, you know, this team just doesn't match up well with the Suns. It's just what it is. And we saw that last night. I think we're going to continue to see it. I mean, for all the stupid shit I had to endure on the broadcast last night, one thing that was – I think actually it was Reggie that said this. He made the point that the Suns are the only team in the league that have – this many dudes to throw at Luka Doncic. I mean, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Tory Craig, DeAndre Ayton. Like, that's six guys right there that the Suns can have defend Luka at any given point. So, when you talk about... And they even had Chris Paul defending him at times. And... I mean, you could put Shamit on him. I wouldn't really want to do that. But, you know, Shamit would probably get roasted. But the point is, the Suns have so many bodies to throw at Luka that are strong enough and big enough to just bother him. And you saw it last night. Luka, a lot of the first half is settling for long threes, step backs. He's not getting to the rim with you know, the authority that he wants to. Now, to be fair, we know that Luca's hobbled right now. So, that's also why, you know, so much of the picking Dallas in this series, why national media was ludicrous. Like, Luca's not Luca right now. And Even if he was, I still wouldn't pick them. But, like, he's hobbled, and you're really trying to tell me he's going to beat a 64-win Phoenix team? Phoenix is just not getting the respect, and that's annoying. But Luca clearly doesn't have the same level of burst. You know, he was dunking at the end of the game when they were just kind of, you know, letting him walk to the rim. But... You know, all those things being said, it's just the Suns have never had problems with Luka. He's like 1-9 in against DeAndre Ayton. Devin Booker always dominates the Mavericks. This is not new. None of this is new. This is only new to people who have not been paying attention. And, you know, I was listening to Zach Lowe and Jeff Van Gundy talk about this series before it started and they're just talking about how, you know, no one can handle Luca, and there's nobody that can stop Luca Doncic. Yeah, the Suns have plenty of guys to stop him. And again, I understand he scored 45 last night. I get it. He took so many shots. Cleve was the only other dude shooting the ball. And you may look at this and say, well, it's blah, 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 blah. I look at this and say, Luca scored 45. Cleveland went five of seven from three. You still weren't even close to winning the game. What more can Dallas do? I mean, the Suns shot incredibly well, sure. Perhaps the Suns will come back to Earth. Is Kleba going to go five for his first five from three every game? Maybe Luka will shoot a little more efficiently, sure. Or maybe he always struggles against the Suns because the Suns are specifically built to stop guys like him. Specifically built to stop guys like him. Heliocentric teams like, oh, I don't know, the Bucks. The Suns have built this roster to go back to the finals and face the Bucks. That's why they added JaVale McGee. That's why they added Ish Wainwright. That's why they added Bismack Biombo. We've got wing defenders. We've got to add three fucking huge dudes to just throw bodies at people. To throw bodies at Portis. To throw bodies at Giannis. To throw bodies at Lopez. And it just so happens that that strategy also works very well against a small Dallas team. And that's just it. Dallas isn't really a threat in this series. I said, you know, Suns and Six because I thought, hey, if Luca's back, he's still going to do Luca things for a couple of games. That is what Luca does. But Luca isn't himself right now. And even scoring what he did last night against so much of that was just, you know, I mean, there were at least five, six, seven points that came at the end of the game in garbage time when it was just over. And, you know, there are points still, but the Mavs are done. Miami Philly. I mean, look, I think everything I said about James Harden has been, you know, come through at this point. Um, It sucks to play without Embiid. Hopefully he'll be back soon for the 76ers season. You know, I hate to see things end this way. Injuries suck, but... If you're an All-Star player, this is where you're supposed to take things to another level. This is where you're supposed to step it up and say, "I'm not going to let our team, you know, score 20 fucking points in the second half and completely fall apart." And, you know, James Harden just isn't capable of that in the playoffs. And I'm not saying that, you know, this 76ers team is constructed to be an elite playoff team around James Harden that you know, can blah, blah, whatever. But we've just, we've seen this movie a million times. When James Harden is in the playoffs, the numbers drop, The he loses games, and all of his high-scoring games are in games that, you know, it's, games that don't matter. Garbage time games, or, you know, they've already won in a blowout for the game that, you know, they win in a gentleman's sweep. Like, it's just not, Harden isn't built for the playoffs. And maybe the Nets thing was, you know, I mean, he looked pretty good there for for a bit before the whole, before everything fell apart. But he had two superstars around him at that point. And if he only had one of them, you know, if he only had KD for different points, I mean, that's fucking KD, who was still KD last year, even if at this point he's, you know, not KD anymore. But. And I stand by that take, by the way. That's not bullshit. Devin Booker is the best scorer in the NBA. I'm not, I'm not fucking bullshitting. I don't care what anyone thinks. He's the best player on a 64-win team. Like, he, he literally plays within the offense. He can he can score 30 as easily, as easily as he can dish 10 assists. Like, Devin Booker's a badass. Fucking learn. Like, I don't know. He's a championship player. He's the best scorer in the league right now. He's the most versatile scorer in the league right now. It just is what it is. It's just the truth. But Miami and Philly is just another exercise in the fact that James Harden is done as an all-NBA-level player. That Philadelphia is about to overpay him this summer in a way that could cripple their franchise for years. And that, unfortunately, Joel Embiid is as far away from a championship as he has ever been. You know? Daryl Morey has consistently proven the ability to make blockbuster trades that send shockwaves through the media, cause a thousand podcasts... And win all of the press conferences. And he has not proven an ability to win a championship. And Philadelphia has maybe now mortgaged everything on a bet that Daryl Morey kind of already lost in Houston. Now you might say, well, you know, James Harden never had a Joel Embiid. Fair. Fair. But he did have a James Harden and it was a better version of James Harden than this one. So, yeah. I think um, Miami's moving on, and we're going to have a Miami-Milwaukee Eastern Conference Finals, which, by the way, is interesting as fuck, given you know the history of those two teams over the last few years. You know, we're really going to look back on this era of Eastern Conference basketball, and there's going to be a lot of you know Miami-Milwaukee talk. You know, if I could ever uh, get Chris Herring to actually come on, I might need to pitch him on an idea for like a, you know, a Blood in the Garden sequel about Pat Riley's, these Miami teams and what it, you know, the whole Giannis thing. Because it's honestly interesting as fuck. We may need to wait another 20 years for that one. But between Jimmy Butler and Giannis, between Spo and Budenholzer, between Bam Adebayo and Brooke Lopez, it's just a lot of interesting, you know, sort of subplots. Um, You know, Drew Holiday, Tyler Hero, um, you know, just all of those things that, you know, it's just very interesting. Um, And so, you know, that's what I believe is going to happen. It's going to be a very interesting Eastern Conference Finals. And again, I think it's going to be Suns Warriors. And I think we're going to have a Suns Bucks repeat with the Suns winning the championship. I've said that all year and I'm sticking to it. One thing I was thinking about last night, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I was thinking of – I don't know if someone can come up with a new statistic, but every time that Kleba was making a shot last night, basically, the Suns came down and were making one as, one as well. Kleba hit five threes, but at one point he had four and 12 points, but Crowder had three threes and 11 points. And he was just basically negating what Kleber was doing. And I was just thinking that it would be really interesting if there was this statistic called like response threes or response shots or something where we measure – How often a player or what his shooting percentage is directly after another team has made a three? Because we know that the three is the most devastating shot in the game right now, obviously. Three points is way more than two. And we know how the three point evolution has gotten to a point now where, like, you know, teams are shooting almost 50% of their shots from three. So I'm just curious who are the best players in the league at negating another team's three? Like, I'm sure Steph Curry's up there. I'm sure that probably the best shooters in the league. Are up there, but there are probably some surprises of guys who are maybe not necessarily good shooters, but are more clutch shooters. Like Jimmy Butler has never been a really good three point shooter, but in the playoffs, he makes a lot of clutch threes. And I just wonder if there's sort of a, and maybe it's just baked into a clutch three statistic. I don't know, but I think that there's something to be said for bagging a triple directly after one has been made against you. And I'm curious if there's a statistical significance to that with any players. So one of you genius math nerds can check out that one. But just a few notes before heading out now, there's some pretty incredible news in the NBA coaching world. It feels like it's 2010 because these are two, three headlines, actually, that I have seen in the last 24 hours. Okay, I swear to God, all of this is true. One of them just came out. But again, like what fucking year is it? Okay, number one, Mark Stein reports that ESPN reports. So maybe ESPN reports, whatever. Who gives a fuck? Phil Jackson is advising the Lakers on their head coaching search. So failing with the, you know, Knicks wasn't enough. Jeannie Buss now has got to go back to her ex and say, hey, you know, what's the answer to this question? The guy who couldn't hire a dude to save his life in New York is now supposedly going to save the Lakers. This is, like, disaster zone time for the Lakers. If they're going back to the Phil Jackson well, that means that this is a fucking clusterfuck nightmare disaster. And I love every single moment of it. The one thing I would hope... Is that Phil Jackson could convince them that Russell Westbrook would be really good in the triangle. And that they should keep Russell Westbrook and run the triangle. That would be my hope. So let me go ahead and let's see. Who are some of the candidates going to be? Let's see. Derek Fisher. uh, Jeff Hornacek. Uh, (laughs) This is fucking terrible. This is stupid. And of course all over Twitter people are making jokes about Phil Jackson just hiring himself. That would be the funniest fucking thing in the history of the world of course. But my god dude. Like. At what point point do you just let it go? Let it go, man. There are not an unlimited number of times that this dude can come back. And in fact, he has passed the point of himself being able to come back and understand this current NBA. He's still committed to the idea that an offensive system that doesn't involve the three-pointer is somehow a good idea. Like, I love the 90s Bulls as much as anyone. That shit doesn't work right now. At least unless you evolve the fuck out of it. Phil's just, you know, a crazy old head who doesn't want to move on and is convinced that every single thing that he thinks is right, and now the Lakers are paying lip service to it. It's fucking hilarious, and I really hope it, you know, just— I hope it causes some sort of implosion and fucks everything up because it's a ludicrous idea and it's funny as hell. Uh, Headline number two, Mike D'Antoni could coach the Hornets. What the fuck? They've had a lot of names listed— but the Mike D'Antoni one I love. I thought it was weird that they hired, they fired James Borrego. Like, he's done better every year. I mean, I understand they were horrible defensively this year. But, I mean, I, I don't know. Whatever. It's it, He's not an elite coach, so it's not the end of the world to fire him. I just thought it was weird. He's not like a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination. And he's got such a young team. I mean, I don't really know what else anyone would have expected from them this year. Like, they did fine. But, all those things being said, Mike D'Antoni and LaMelo Ball together? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Give me Mike D'Antoni and LaMelo Ball. Just imagine LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges (laughs) running the Nash and Amari pick and roll in the D'Antoni system. Fuck yeah. Give me all of that. Give me all the fuck of that. Inject that shit right the fuck into my veins for all times fuck yeah I'll burn it up in a spoon I'll cook it I'll heat it I'll put it right in there LaMelo Ball Miles Bridges Mike D'Antoni yes please yes please give them a couple of shooters get them a center re-sign Kelly Oubre to go just insane in transition to be the you know like the Sean Marion role or whatever hell the fuck yeah I want to see that do that Charlotte do that And then finally, the last NBA note. Mark Jackson to the Kings, potentially. Really? Really, Kings? Really? Kings gonna Kings, man. They just can't get out of their way. Now, we all know that Mark Jackson is a homophobic, transphobic, garbage person who hates all people who don't conform to his particular weird sect of Christianity that he used to preach from the Warriors arena, which is one of the main reasons they separated from him. We all know those things. But we also know that the Kings are a bumbling, inept, moronic franchise full of stupidity that despite changing owners, GMs, trainers, coaches, PR people, the IT guy, you know, the fucking bathroom cleaning staff, they can't win basketball games. They can't. Stay out of their own way. They finally drafted a bright young prospect in Tyrese Halliburton that everyone in the NBA loved. And they traded him away immediately for a problematic player that doesn't fit in the modern league Every single thing about the Kings is a hilarious joke. And, of course, now they want to hire the dude who spent his entire NBA career undermining players and now spends his time on the sideline not caring about the X's and O's, but just caring about preaching. Of course, they want to hire the guy who practiced less than any team in the league when he was coach of the Warriors. Of course, they want to hire the dude who had to hire other people for X's and O's because all he wanted to do as a coach was give the nobody-believes-in-us speech, dude, like, The only coach I've ever seen who was worse than Mark Jackson was Jeff Hornacek, okay? Jeff Hornacek is the worst fucking coach of all time. I hate Jeff Hornacek. I hate him so much. The time that Jeff Hornacek coached the Suns is the most embarrassing, bullshit, basic, pathetic offense and defense I've ever seen in my life. Jeff Hornacek is pathetic. I once saw a scout refer to his team as AAU-level stuff, and he's fucking right. Jeff Hornacek sucks. So Mark Jackson is still above that, but that's about it. That's about as good as it is. So one step above Jeff Hornacek, not a good decision, but kings gonna kings. Vivek Ranadive, no clue what he's doing, and he continues to be a bumbling moron. You know the one thing that Robert Sarver did that was smart? He hired James Jones and got the fuck out of his way. And until Vivek does that, find someone that he trusts enough to stay the fuck out of the way, this shit's gonna keep happening. But oh my god. Mark Jackson coaching the Kings is going to provide some amazing sound bites that we'll get to talk about on this podcast. So, boy, do I hope it happens. And finally, two notes real quick on the NFL. Number one DeAndre Hopkins suspended. That is supposedly why the Cardinals acquired Hollywood Brown in part because of the fact that they knew that DeAndre Hopkins was going to be suspended. That's what people are saying. DeAndre suspended six games. It's weird to acquire a player because you're going to miss another dude for six games. Um, You know, I think it had more to do with them needing two receivers in the playoffs, but whatever. Um, But the interesting connection to that is the fact that Marquise Brown traded from the Ravens. Lamar Jackson was pissed about that. He tweeted, what the fuck? And Lamar has won an MVP... The Ravens have not been able to come to an agreement with an extension with him. They haven't. It hasn't. It doesn't seem to be. They don't seem to be on the same page at all. Now they're trading. You know, earlier this season, people were talking about Hollywood Brown being traded, and Lamar tweeted, Hell no. Like, that's my guy. Like, Lamar Jackson did not want this and wasn't okay with it. And. The Ravens have demonstrated they just don't really give a shit about what Lamar Jackson wants. And when you give your all to a team and you basically reinvent a position and, a play, and play it in a way that no one else could play it, and you win an MVP, and you have this level of talent, and then they go, Yeah, but we're not going to extend you. Yeah, but we're going to trade your favorite target. It just doesn't really feel like Lamar Jackson is, is long for for this team and I I constantly hear I think it's on the pick six podcast they constantly make reference to the Kirk Cousins thing where Kirk you know just played out his his you know franchise tag situation and got all of his guaranteed money and I think that's where the Lamar Jackson thing is headed like and again I'm not coming up with that credit to them for saying that I just think they're right I think they the Ravens don't do everything they can to maximize Lamar Jackson they really don't like They do certain things, but, I mean, they don't... The Ravens do not, like, invest in the offense in the way that they do the defense. And I understand that the Ravens have always wanted to do things a certain way. I get that. But when you have this incredibly unique, incredibly talented player, you need to maximize him. Especially when you're in a window to win the Super Bowl when he's competing like this. And you have him on that cheap contract. And... You, and they're just not doing it. And as much as I hate the fucking Ravens, so I'm glad to see them failing, I feel for Lamar Jackson because it feels like they're constantly putting him in a no-win situation because he's got to win games by himself because he's always with the depleted offense. And, you know, the defense is always there and it always keeps him in games, but you need more, and the Ravens don't want to give it to him, and I do think that Lamar Jackson will spend the back half of his career somewhere else. And that is the Blund Doctor Show for this Tuesday. Again, going to the game tomorrow. Hopefully a good one. Hopefully an episode coming after that where we're partying and talking about what a phenomenal time it was to go to a Suns playoff game. For me, my first Suns playoff game in 15 years. No matter where you are in this world, I hope you're having a great day. Be good to those around you. Love all those who love you tell everyone around you to stop fucking voting Republican ever again. Tell them to pay the fuck attention to what's going on. Stop hating women, for the love of God. Let's hope somehow that 2023 is better than 2022. Feels like we've been asking for that for a couple of years now, huh? Oof. Peace.